0: Hello, and welcome to Historically Speaking, uncommon history with an unconventional pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins.
1: And I'm Kim Kimmel.
0: I'm a singer and actress.
1: And I'm a retired history teacher.
0: He was my history teacher in college.
1: And now we've been married for 21 years.
0: (laughs) Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure.
1: But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember.
0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 17 of Historically Speaking Podcast. Today, we have what I think is a fascinating topic, something I knew nothing about. It is the predecessor to the CIA that was established in World War II. Yes. And- not the SOS, the OSS, Yes. just to be clear.
1: Yes, the um, Office of Strategic Services is really the predecessor to the Central Intelligence Agency.
0: I don't think most people know that.
1: I, th- I think you're right. And I don't think they know who was the head of the OSS, who was William Donovan, who was a really an amazing human being in many ways. Just a little background. Before World War II ever broke out, We didn't have any intelligence service. The FBI did some domestic surveillance and so on, but we didn't have an overall intelligence service. The State Department had its own intelligence service. The Navy did, the Army did, the Treasury Department did. But there was no overall national intelligence, and service. they
0: didn't share information either. Did they were I? kind of,
1: they were kind of petty with each other, if anything, uh, very, very D- territorial.
0: Yeah, that doesn't seem very productive for you know if your right. country is at war.
1: Right. Well, we weren't at war at that time. Well, we're but what did we do the-
0: in World War One?
1: World War One, we had virtually nothing. I mean, No, we no intelligence, upon, really. Right. Uh, it was makeshift and so on. It was just different uh, small intelligence agencies. The uh, Army had intelligence service. Uh, the Navy had intelligence service. Okay. And so on. But we had no overall intelligence service, which takes me to William Donovan. Gotcha. Okay. William Donovan was born in 1883. He would die in 1959. He was born in New York. He went to Columbia for undergraduate work. He got a law degree from Columbia. He actually worked in the Coolidge administration. He was in one or more law firms. In World War I, he had performed heroically.
0: Oh, so he's uh, a soldier as well. Oh, he's so a
1: soldier as well. What Absolutely. Branch?
0: Army? He was in the
1: army. Okay. And he won many awards for gallantry and he had quite a reputation as both a military man and as a very capable lawyer and he was interested in politics too in 1932 he won the republican nomination for governor of new york oh. the, the very year that fdr was still governor of new york but was giving that up to run for the presidency
0: wow so yeah. he won the one nomination but he, won he the, win nomination, the but
1: he did not win the governorship okay so FDR and William Donovan had very different political views, especially about opposite parties. Yeah, Republican versus Democrat. They had very different political views on domestic matters and so on. But they knew each other. They went to law school together.
0: Oh.
1: They went to Columbia Law School together. So their relationship went back a long way. And FDR actually admired Donovan. He thought he was a very intelligent individual, very patriotic American. He certainly admired his war record. Uh, He knew he was a very capable lawyer. And in 1941, FDR made Donovan the coordinator of intelligence, the COI. He was just to be someone- Which was a brand
0: new position, correct? A brand
1: new position. Now, this all came about because of another fascinating person, a Canadian who really functioned in the British intelligence service, a man named William Stevenson. Now, William Stevenson was born in 1897. He wouldn't die until 1989, so he lived into his 90s. Wow. William Stevenson, like William Donovan, is a very impressive person. By 1940, he was the head of British intelligence for the Western Hemisphere.
0: But he was Canadian.
1: He was Canadian, but in World War I, he started with Canadian forces fighting with the British, but by the end of World War I, he had switched to a British regiment, to to the British service. So he was Canadian, but he was also very much in many ways a Brit Brit de facto. And by 1940, Mm -hmm. he was the head of British intelligence in the Western Hemisphere. His office was in New York in the Rockefeller Plaza building, right? And theoretically, I mean, officially, he was in the British passport office, (laughs) but that was just a cover. Oh, And his job was to ensure that Americans would realize that there was a fight coming, that they had to eventually get into, that uh, he wanted Americans to be pro-British, not pro-German. Did he
0: really think that might happen?
1: Oh, there was a lot of sympathy for Hitler in America, a lot of indifference as well. Uh, You had a lot of animosity toward communism, and many individuals thought that Hitler was the best chance to fight communism. You had the America First Committee that was headed by Charles Lindbergh, who wanted to keep keep America out of the war. Because remember, Britain went to war in September of 39, and America doesn't enter the war until December of 41, over two years later. So Stevenson in 1940, early 41, is having conversations at times with FDR. He got to know FDR. And FDR is very sympathetic to Stevenson's points of view. I mean, FDR, way underneath, realized that eventually, uh, and I give FDR a great deal of credit here, I think he realized we eventually had to get into this war. But because of neutrality acts passed by Congress, because of a very isolationist sentiment in America as a whole, FDR knew he had to proceed very carefully.
0: There had to be a good reason for that. There had us to be to a very
1: good reason, and so on. So. It was Stevenson who spoke to FDR about the importance of having this coordinated intelligence service, which is what led to William Donovan being tapped by FDR. So
0: did the two Williams know each other?
1: They did know each other. In fact, uh, they were pretty good friends. Ah,
0: okay. And
1: William Donovan was known as Wild Bill, and William Stevenson, the Canadian slash Brit, was known as Little Bill.
0: That's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, so they were they were buddies. Uh, they got I don't know exactly when they first met, but they got to know each other. And well, I would um,
0: think they'd be running in the same circles and Yes. especially yeah. in New York.
1: Right. And just another aside about William Stevenson. Ian Fleming who wrote the James Bond model books the uh, novels sure
0: I've read several of them Actually,
1: he said that William Stevenson was the inspiration for James Bond
0: the prototype he was
1: the prototype William Stevenson led an amazing life so they
0: must have known each other Ian Fleming and Stevenson
1: I don't know that I I don't know because Ian Fleming
0: did fight in the war
1: right but I don't know that he knew Stevenson he may have okay Um, he knew
0: of him clearly yes
1: and Stevenson's code name was intrepid (laughs) I love that Right. So if you're looking for the prototype for James Bond.
0: It's intrepid.
1: Uh, according to Fleming himself, it was William Stevenson. William Stevenson, after World War I, having a distinguished war record like William Donovan, became a very successful businessman. So between the wars, William Stevenson became a very wealthy man. He invented certain things. He got into a construction, a cement business, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, Here in the States? No, mostly in England. Oh, okay. Yeah. He started a business in Canada, but it didn't work out. He went to England, became very wealthy. There was a point where he was making the equivalent of around $12 million a year. Back then? Back then, yeah. So this was a very wealthy man. He married a very wealthy American Tennessee woman who herself brought a lot of wealth to the marriage.
0: So the two of them together.
1: Right. He had no concerns about money.
0: That's and, a nice feeling, isn't it? I can't imagine a, what that would actually feel like. It's, it's
1: a very nice feeling. I've always uh, thought that uh, what money buys you more than anything else is freedom.
0: And peace of mind. Yeah.
1: It's nice to have. Not to have uh, to
0: worry about, right. can I pay the electric bill this month?
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: But getting back to Stevenson. Well, he was
1: Stevenson and Donovan, they got to know each other. Uh, Stevenson suggested to FDR that he creates this a coordinator of uh, intelligence which and he does fdr does this in july of 41 now keep in mind in july of 41 we're still not in the war
0: oh we still have a few months before Pearl harbour that's right
1: that's not going to happen until december right but fdr creates this coordinator of intelligence who is william donovan donovan does a lot of work he starts to so hire he's, people
0: he's starting from scratch he's, he's created this scratch, whole new agency
1: right. yes and by June of 42, by which time we we're in the war, right? that's when FDR created the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. Uh, okay. Okay. And William Donovan's the head of it. He will remain the head of it throughout the and
0: war. And this is an office in D.C.? Well, I'm its assuming.
1: headquarters were in Washington. But okay. Donovan traveled all over the place. He had traveled a great deal already. Even before he ever worked for uh, FDR. And don't forget, Donovan was in the Coolidge administration in the 20s, very staunch Republican, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But FDR and Donovan got along very well. They liked each other. And uh, FDR was a pretty shrewd judge of character, and he knew that Donovan would do a good job. And Donovan began to hire lots of people. Eventually, the OSS would employ over 24,000 people.
0: 24,000 people? That's
1: right. And this, this was our- That's
0: like a whole branch of the military. Well,
1: it's amazing. Almost. It's amazing the people they recruited. When you start to look at all the people of that- Of the
0: who's who among the well, OSS.
1: Well, for instance, one of them was Mo Berg, who was a major league baseball catcher.
0: Wow. But he had. What team?
1: Oh, he played for a number of teams. He was traded. uh, Oh, so he was well known. It's just the guy. And he spoke many languages. He was a Columbia law graduate.
0: And he was playing baseball?
1: Well, Casey Stengel said that Mo Berg was the strangest person ever to play baseball.
0: (laughs) Strange because (laughs) of his other talents? Yeah,
1: just a very unusual man, a true intellectual, speaking many languages, a lawyer. Uh, he had traveled extensively. In fact, in the 1930s, when they, Americans were trying to bring baseball to the Japanese, which they did. The Japanese, of course, loved baseball. Right. Uh, Mo Berg went on top of some building and filmed all of Tokyo. And that film was later used by the American Armed Forces for very important military reasons.
0: But yeah. he didn't necessarily do it originally for that purpose.
1: No, but he did. he did a lot of things that were very interesting. But there were other people who who worked for the LRS. Okay, LSS. so we have Moberg, we have Julia Child. What? <laughs> Julia Child was a member of the OSS, and none of this came out until about four years after her death. She died, I think, in 2004, and this came out in 2008. After
0: her death, so she never talked about it? She
1: never talked about it. She was doing all those cooking programs, and of course she and meanwhile, was meanwhile, she had that. all
0: this history of being yeah. basically a secret agent.
1: She developed some kind of shark repellent so that torpedoes wouldn't be uh, set off precipitously or, or early on by sharks. Which was, a, which was a problem. Um, well,
0: she was very tall, so I don't think she could get into other branches of the military. Yeah, that's
1: amazing how tall she was. Julia Chow was six foot two. Who knew? Yeah, six foot two. I mean, that, that's tall for a guy even today. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, she became a fabulous cook and all of that.
0: It's from cooking up some shark repellent for but the OSS. She, she
1: she worked for the OSS. Uh, so did John Ford, the director.
0: Wow, what did he do?
1: I'm not sure what uh, Ford did. Well, I guess we no. don't
0: really know what most well, that's, of these people that's did. That's
1: the problem with the entire history of espionage. It's very difficult to find out who did what because so much of this was, was so secret. secret and buried and papers were destroyed. I mean, there's even some people who question whether William Stevenson, the Canadian who worked for British intelligence, right. if his real code name was intrepid, although it seems to have been.
0: And I guess he never wrote a book, a tell-all, or anything like that. No.
1: And he lived, as I said, he lived into his 90s. He died in 1989.
0: That's amazing how those people could, could keep such a huge secret. Yeah.
1: It is it is it is quite interesting. So Donovan was coordinating all of this in 1942, 43, 44. So is he
0: sending agents over to Europe?
1: He's sending them to... all over the place. They go to China. They go to Burma. To uh, They go to Vietnam. Uh, there was an OSS agent named Archimedes Patty who had many conversations with Ho Chi Minh because at that time, uh, Ho Chi Minh uh, hated the Japanese. We were against the Japanese, so we thought we would cooperate with Ho Chi Minh and the Viet Minh, which is the predecessor of the North wow. Vietnamese Army. Right. This was a problem for the OSS both in Europe and in Asia. Many of the people they would recruit Uh, hated the Japanese or hated the Nazis, but they tended oftentimes to be pro-communist. The irony. Yeah. So you had to be careful with who you hired so you wouldn't be compromised within. And another individual that worked for the OSS, one of the most important individuals, was Alan Dulles. Now,
0: As in Dulles Airport?
1: Uh, well, that's named after John Foster Dulles. John John Foster Dulles was Alan Dulles' older brother. John Foster Dulles would be uh, Eisenhower's Secretary of State from 1953 to 1959. Alan Dulles, the okay. younger brother, uh-huh. would in the 1950s into the early 60s be the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, which has not yet been created. We're still back here in World War II, and I'm just looking ahead here. So the
0: CIA is not even in existence yet. No,
1: that won't be in existence until 1947. But Alan Dulles worked for the OSS.
0: Oh, so he just kind of trickled right down into the that next agency. Right.
1: Yes, and uh, Alan Dulles was stationed in Switzerland. Now, Switzerland was neutral in all of World War II, and Alan Dulles did a great deal of important work discovering all kinds of German secrets with respect to uh, military matters, etc and his operation base was, OS, was Switzerland in the, in the OSS, and his boss was William Donovan.
0: Wow, you wouldn't think in Switzerland there'd be a whole lot going on since it was neutral.
1: That's exactly why a lot was going on. In, in neutral countries like Portugal, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Turkey, that were neutral in World War II, they were spy centers. Oh. I think Lisbon was sometimes termed the spy capital of Europe during World War II.
0: Well, isn't that kind of mentioned in Casablanca?
1: Uh, yes, they had to go to Lisbon to, to get freedom, to go to America, and so on. And uh, there's that movie with Hetty Labar and Paul, Paul Henry, uh, The Conspirators.
0: Oh, right. And that's in Lisbon, right? And
1: that's set in Lisbon, and it's about spies during World War II, yes. Okay. So neutral countries. We'll neutral, neutral countries had spies kind of from, from both sides. I mean, there were Nazis spies in Lisbon and in Madrid and and so on. We had OSS agents in Turkey. We had them all that over is the place.
0: Mind blowing.
1: Well here's another one, Nelson Eddy.
0: Nelson Eddy <laughs> and Jeanette MacDonald, uh, my favorite team of of actors from the early years of film.
1: Yes, uh, folks. My my wife loves uh, Jeanette MacDonald. She has photos ever. I
0: have three three <laughs> photos of her right here in this room.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, of course they were a singing duo, and what Rosemary? How many movies did they do?
0: Oh, they did like five or six, I think. Was, oh, I
1: thought it was even more than that. Anyway, uh, Nelson Eddy. Who uh, had a beautiful voice? Great voice, amazing voice. voice. He was fluent in German, and so and so, the OSS hired him. He went on ostensibly a singing tour in the Middle East,
0: quote end quote. Right
1: while he was trying to gather information for the OSS.
0: Wow, under the guise of I'm just going to go over here and do a couple concerts. I do a little
1: singing here, a little spying there. Speak a little German
0: to these Nazis Yeah
1: So uh, Nelson Eddy did did his part too
0: Good for them I mean it's amazing Because they literally had to step away From their careers Whatever it was
1: Well it was I've read where Nelson Eddy's career Never came back Because he spent You know so much time In the OSS In World War II And once he came back World War II was over He could never get his career Going again in music
0: Out of sight out of mind Yeah right That's that's sad in a way Because he did such An incredible service For his country Mm Mm-hmm but he yes. couldn't tell anybody.
1: Right. And there were some who worked for the OSS who were German. There was a uh, man named...
0: German-Americans? No, no.
1: German. Oh. Uh, there was a man named Kolbe, K-O-L-B-E. I think his first name was Fritz. Fritz Kolbe. Uh, he was born in 1900, I believe. I think he died around 1970. And he was German. He had uh, served in uh, World War I. He was uh, in the uh, German government, and he couldn't stand Hitler. He was very anti-Nazi, so he was recruited by the OSS
0: in Germany.
1: Uh, Yeah, we had that could been very dangerous for him. Well, it was. Some of these guys, some of these men and women, got killed, absolutely. And Alan Dulles later said that Kolba was the single most important spy for the OSS in World War II.
0: Wow, and he was German. He
1: was German, and he was he hated the not he hated Nazism and so on. But
0: but he probably had to keep that secret.
1: Oh, he absolutely had to keep that secret. Just so yeah. he could be right.
0: given information. Right,
1: that's to pass correct. On. So we recruited Germans and so on. Yes.
0: So they were from all over, not just Americans. Even we, though this we was an American agency, we recruited
1: uh, some Japanese Americans because they were fluent in Japanese, and they served uh, in intelligence capacities because of their language ability.
0: Yes. So I would think because of the importance of this organization and mm-hmm. the incredible work that they did during the war, mm-hmm. that they'd want to keep this organization going for all time.
1: No, it's interesting. Once the war ended, uh, by that time, Truman was president. FDR died in April of 45. And in September of 45, Truman ended the OSS.
0: For what reason? That makes we, no we, sense we from we the felt, outside. Anyway.
1: Well, I think Truman was looking ahead here uh, to some kind of reorganization. In January of 46, he... um,
0: Organization of his cabinet or Organization of America post-war?
1: An intelligence organization.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So I think that Truman thought that the OSS had served its purpose, served it well. Uh, Donovan had done a great job and all of that. And so he ended the OSS in September of 45, but in January of 46, he created what is known as the Central Intelligence Group. And by 1947... Congress passed the National Security Act. Now, the National Security Act created a Department of the Army, a Department of the Navy, a Department of the Air Force under the aegis of a Secretary of Defense. Up until 1947, you did not have this kind of coordination among the military branches. You had the Department of War, which was the Army. You had the Department of the Navy, and there was no Air Force, per se, that had, was an independent Uh, Because they were subdivisions. Yeah, like, for instance, the Army Air Force and so on. Okay. But 1947 created a separate Air Force, Army, and Navy under the uh, complete control of the Secretary of Defense. It also created the National Security Council, uh, the NSC, and it created the Central Intelligence Agency. So the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, began in 1947 because of the National Security Act. And- but it, it was
0: essentially a continuation it was essentially of in many ways the oss, ways, the OSS
1: is the true predecessor of the cia
0: they just wanted to change the name
1: <laughs> in, what happened to donovan uh, donovan served for about a year as uh, our ambassador to thailand when eisenhower was president very sadly by the late 50s he was suffering from dementia
0: Oh, my, that's so and, sad. And
1: yeah, it is very sad. And so so did George C. Marshall. George C. Marshall was such an extraordinarily important person in World War II. I'm um, sorry, who was he? Oh, George Marshall was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which didn't officially come into existence until the late 40s. But de facto, he was basically the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he was Technically, Eisenhower's boss, MacArthur's boss, and so on. Oh,
0: okay. And
1: uh, George Marshall is one of the great Americans. Is he the I one
0: think. responsible for firing MacArthur?
1: No, no, no. That He couldn't have fired MacArthur. He could have, uh, I guess, demoted him. But Truman fired MacArthur in April of 51 during the Korean War because MacArthur made certain statements that contradicted the president of the United States. And there was a question of- You
0: can't do that.
1: You can't do that. You, can't, you have to have to- okay total civil. You can think whatever you like, Just but don't you, can't, say it out loud. you can't say it. And if you don't like the president personally, uh, as I was told years ago, you must still respect the office. So if you can't salute the man, you at least can salute the office.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And
1: MacArthur, who was a very stubborn, highly intelligent individual, made certain statements that seemed to contradict uh, what Truman had said. So Truman fired him and so it wasn't
0: uh, okay. Yeah.
1: Anyway. So uh, yes, Donovan died in 1959. So did George C. Marshall, and George George C. Marshall also died of dementia, which is very sad. That's so
0: sad. These guys yeah. who had this extraordinary life and these extraordinary stories to yeah. be told,
1: right? And did so much great work in World War II. Tremendous yeah, because
0: would we would we have won the war but for the OSS?
1: It would have made it a lot more difficult. Especially if you
0: have each individual agency doing their own thing and not sharing information.
1: And I I might add here, there was a tremendous amount of cooperation with British intelligence, with MI6. Uh, William Stevenson, for instance, was head of British intelligence for the entire Western Hemisphere. Churchill made certain that there was a tremendous amount of cooperation between uh, between Britain and America, between the UK and America. He was on very friendly terms with FDR. They shared a lot of secret information. Uh, The OSS worked with British intelligence in many, many ways, Uh, also with French resistance, Italian resistance, and so on.
0: Oh, yeah. I would think the resistance fighters would have one, been One very of the important. things,
1: it's just, it's so difficult. I mentioned this briefly, but it's really difficult to find out everything that occurs because
0: it's… Because there's no information.
1: <laughs> it was a secret service, and they kept a lot of things secret.
0: So I wonder if those documents ever existed, were destroyed, still exist somewhere?
1: That's a good question. My guess is some still exist. Some have been released. Some have, were destroyed long ago. It's probably a mix.
0: I bet it is, yeah. Yeah.
1: But we had OSS agents everywhere. I mean, in Asia, in Europe. And people like John Ford,
0: who was making movies with John Wayne.
1: Right. There was different ways to employ their, their talents. And they were employed. And Donovan ran all of this. Wow, Bill.
0: Now, do we know how he got that name?
1: Because uh, of his bravery in World War One, And he was fearless. And he just, it, it's interesting. Uh, he claimed he didn't like that term. But, but secretly. His, but see, his wife said, Way underneath, he really did like it.
0: Well, because it's it's sort of a term of respect. <laughs> oh,
1: it was. It wasn't meant in any derisive way. No, Wild Bill uh, Don it was Wild Bill Donovan and Little Bill uh, William Stevenson.
0: I don't know that I'd like that term.
1: I don't know about yeah. I don't know about Little Bill. I wonder if uh, William Stevenson watched the uh, James Bond films in the 1960s. He must have. I
0: don't know. I wonder if he knew that he was the prototype.
1: I don't know that I for certain. But Ian Fleming said that that he was the prototype for James Bond.
0: So if, if Ian Fleming said that, then yeah, surely mean, he w- information that, would have gotten yeah, to him at that's some point. That's a pretty
1: authoritative source. I
0: would think so. Yeah. If, I, I mean, I, how many I, books did he write? Like I a dozen know. at I, least? I, I don't know how many. I've either. only read like five maybe, yeah, yeah. like the first five.
1: And JFK loved the uh, Ian Fleming books. You know, he read them. He liked them very much.
0: Yeah, they're great books. Yeah. And then it's fun to read the books and then watch the movie yeah. and see the... The differences right. that Hollywood put in there.
1: Yes, right. And I, I must say, uh, there's been a number of individuals who have played James Bond, and some of them are very good. But for me, none as
0: good as the original. I'm
1: sorry, Sean Connery for me is always he's the, James Bond, the James Bond. Yeah, uh, others have been good. Daniel Craig, fine. Daniel Craig's great. Roger Moore had certain Pierce Brosnan. right, right, but it's it's Sean Connery. <laughs> It, it's he is. the original Right He's James Bond And
0: it, maybe it's because He created the role I don't know
1: And of course He just passed away Last October Yes At the age of And I think he 90. also
0: Either had dementia Or Alzheimer's yes. one Yes
1: Apparently he did Yes
0: Oh it is very sad I, yeah. I hate that for anybody Who has to deal with that right. And their families
1: Right
0: It's heartbreaking Yeah Wow And Julia Child
1: Julia Child Yeah
0: Who would have thought She was cooking up Shark repellent Before she was cooking Her right. beef bourguignon? Yeah
1: yeah, I remember off and on, you know, back, I guess, in the 70s and 80s when she had a TV show, I'd watch a little bit of it. I mean, I've never been interested in cooking as much as you have, but, you know, she was just she kind of. She was
0: entertaining. She was entertaining. Of what she was. But I
1: had no idea she worked for the OS. Nobody <laughs>
0: did. I, I have a cookbook signed by her. That's right. Addressed you, that's to right. Me. You do, don't you? And I wish I could have asked her what was yeah. in that shark <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, it's amazing that there were over twenty four thousand people. Twenty four thousand people, that for the and OSS. not just Americans. Not just Americans. No, many were uh, non American recruits, like Kolba, the German spy.
0: So I'm just curious, and you may mm-hmm. not know the answer to this how How would those people get paid, or were they paid? Like those foreign agents.
1: That's a that's a good question. I think money would have passed hand many times. I would have certain, so for certain.
0: Because why uh, else would you do this? I mean, obviously to right. save civilization. Well, but uh, money helps too. Right.
1: I mean, a lot of this was done out of uh, feelings of patriotism, out of antipathy toward Nazism, etc.
0: That makes sense. So the CIA still is around.
1: CIA is still around, created in 1947. And I think it's very fair to say that its predecessor is the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, created in July of 42. 42. And uh, ended in September of 45. Yes.
0: July of 42?
1: Yeah, July of 42. Remember, Donovan was created uh, coordinator of information in um, 41 in J- July of 41, in June of 42. I'm sorry if I said July, in June of 42.
0: And then a year later.
1: That's right. FDR created the OSS. In fact, it was created only about a week after the Battle of Midway.
0: Wow! Yeah. Did that have something to do with I don't know? I don't I don't
1: know if that's just coincidental or whatever. Or if, it's or because if, FDR, if that
0: happened? Oh, right. I think we really need this now. Right. And
1: of course, Midway is is the most important naval battle in all of World War II. It completely changed the Pacific theater dynamic. The Japanese, up until Midway, were on the offensive. From Midway onwards, the Americans were on the offensive. And it's stunning to just look at the production capacity of America. Because I just give you one example. In 1943 and 1944, the Japanese built seven aircraft carriers. The United States in 1943 and 44, built 90. Oh, my word. <laughs> yes. Which, which takes me, and now I'm really getting off topic here, but it takes me to a very, a very shrewd Japanese military individual, Admiral Yamamoto. Admiral Yamamoto, unlike the vast majority of people in the Japanese military, knew America. He studied at Harvard. Oh, wow. He learned how to play poker.
0: Good for him.
1: <laughs> he he knew America in a way that the vast majority of Japanese military personnel did not. And when they decided to bomb Pearl Harbor in December of forty-one, he predicted that we have six months to a year to run wild and take the offensive. If we don't win the war after a year, America's industrial might will completely overtake us, and there's no way we can prevail, which was a pretty good call. I'd say. Oh, by the way- Did they we... listen
0: to him, clearly? They no, didn't.
1: they didn't listen to him, and he just obeyed-
0: They thought you went to Harvard. What do you know? Right.
1: Well, <laughs> I don't know if they thought that, but uh, Yamamoto was shot down in 1943 by the Americans. We found out he was flying to a certain island, and we shot him down. But Yamamoto understood uh, the industrial might that America possessed. And I'm sure William Donovan did. I'm Was sure he the one who coined Steven the phrase did.
0: something about the sleeping tiger? Awake I the sleeping know. tiger the awake, the,
1: awake, the, awake the lion or something like something that.
0: Something like right that. I don't know. Some animal. No.
1: I mean, you could, you could argue that the bombing of Pearl Harbor is one of the stupidest military mistakes. <laughs> Um, in history. You could argue that, that uh, yes, the Japanese I mean, did they
0: not think we would have to retaliate?
1: Uh, The Japanese, you know, both the Germans and the Japanese were very racist oriented. I mean, the Germans, you know, the Aryan race, the Japanese thought that they were only divine race. And most Japanese uh, in control felt that the Americans were soft that uh, they could be easily beaten. Yamamoto is one of the few who tried to counter that and said, no, 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 you you don't understand the Americans. They're slow to anger. But if you do anger them, watch out. But they they didn't listen to him. All the
0: lives that could have been saved if they had just listened to him. And I
1: think it's fascinating that we worked with Ho Chi Minh in World War II. That blows my mind. Yeah. I I didn't realize that. In fact, Ho Chi Minh—
0: And then just what, how many years later—
1: well, uh, the French tried to take Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, French, into China back after the war. And that's when the war started between the French and Ho Chi Minh and his forces. And then, of course, the French lost a major battle at Dien Bien Phu in 1954. So the Americans stepped in with some advisors and so on. So you go from some 600 advisors in 1954, 55 to <laughs> hundreds of thousands of men uh by the time you get to the uh, in fact, late that 60s would be an
0: interesting topic for a for a podcast i think what's that of the beginning of vietnam it was such a turning point for america for the world My,
1: yes perhaps that was a war we should have never fought
0: i know you just say mm. why
1: yeah and if we did fight it we should have fought it differently than we did
0: we didn't but, fight to win
1: no we did in world war ii
0: did we know our objective in vietnam
1: I don't think we really did. I mean, we just wanted to keep South Vietnam free of communism. But uh, we didn't have a real military objective. In fact, when Clark Clifford became Secretary of Defense in 1968, after McNamara resigned, he was shocked when he found out that there was no final victory.
0: There's no path to victory. Path to
1: victory. It was like there was nothing there. He was was stunned. Why? Yeah.
0: I mean— even as a layperson who has no military experience whatsoever, yeah. there has to be an objective.
1: Yes, I agree. I think you. I mean, that's. I mean, you fight wars to win.
0: Yeah, that's that. Right. Questions about the the Middle East and why are we right. still there, and what's the objective, and right. well, when when are we going to know when it's over?
1: We've been in Afghanistan for a long time now, twenty years.
0: That is just all those all those people who have fought over there and lost their lives or even come back. but And what's the objective? But damaged. And what uh, is the objective?
1: Yeah. Good question. It's very – anyway.
0: War is such – Well,
1: I think Sherman summed uh, it up hell. William Tecumseh Sherman said war is hell. War is hell. War is hell,
0: Most yeah. people, unless you live yeah. that, right. don't know. I mean, and and <clears> I, I know that I don't know.
1: World War II, uh, at least 50 million people died. At least 50 million. 50 million Perhaps as high as 65 million, yes. And for what? Yeah.
0: For people with bad ideas.
1: And I just might opine here (laughs) that uh, in the last 100 years, no two full-fledged democracies have gone to war. Democracies have an overwhelming tendency to work out their problems non-militarily. In every war over the last 100 years, at least one of the two sides was not a democracy. So, if you want to end war, I've said this for many years. Perhaps the best um, approach, the best guarantor you're going to get, is to spread democracy.
0: Well, that was George Bush's objective when he right. Went but there's into... a lot of
1: people. There's a lot of cultures. There's a lot of people that are not prepared for democracy. They you don't can't force want it on democracy. People. They have to want it. I think that's right. I don't think the Chinese leadership today wants democracy. <laughs>
0: Certainly not for Taiwan.
1: (laughs) I think there's a a lot of uh, countries that don't want democracy. But authoritarian rule is a prescription oftentimes for warfare.
0: Kind of a scary precedent. So. So anyways, back to the OSS. Which I, for some reason, want to keep calling the SOS. Yeah. But it's not a Brillo pad.
1: No, it's not a Brillo pad. No, it's not. Um, and so the OSS did its part. I
0: love that that we, mm-hmm. that we I learned this, actually. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about this, and especially yeah. who was involved, you know. Yeah. the And there's probably so many celebrities maybe that were involved that we don't even know about.
1: It, it, it's There's fascinating personalities involved in all of this. I mean, uh, from FDR to William Donovan to William Stevenson to Alan Dulles, to uh, Fritz Kohler, to Archimedes Patty, to Julia Child, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. To Nelson, Nelson Eddy, John uh, Ford, yeah, John Ford, Sterling Hayden, the actor. I mean, it's. Just, and I don't
0: think there's any monument or any. there
1: is, there... Are, there is a there is a monument uh, to William Stevenson in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's where he was born, and there is a monument to him. And there okay. are some. Um, but
0: in Washington, is there anything commemorating the OSS?
1: Oh, yes, but I don't know if there's something in Washington commemorating uh, William Stevenson. Oh, I might add that in, in the CIA to this day, they display one baseball card. That baseball card is of Mo Berg, the catcher who played professional baseball. For years, wow. and did so much uh, so intelligence work.
0: It's just what in like a plexiglass. Case? Uh, yeah, it's the
1: only baseball card in, in the CIA that they have. That's because Moberg. Oh, I want to go see it. Yeah, was in the uh, was in the. Wow. ASL. So
0: folks listening, if yeah. you have a baseball card with yeah. Berg on it, it's yeah. probably worth something. <laughs> probably,
1: yeah. I think he must have played for like five or six teams. He was a fairly good catcher. I think he went something like, I don't know, a uh, hundred some games without an error as a catcher.
0: And he was a lawyer. And he spoke he he spoke seven, eight languages.
1: He's a lawyer. He was an intellectual. I mean he's he's a spy. He's a
0: guy I'd like to have a beer with.
1: Yeah. Moe Berg. I love it. Yeah.
0: All right then. I think that wraps up this episode, which kind of got off on a lot of tangents, but I I find those tangents very fascinating myself.
1: Right. Tangents can be fascinating. They can also be very dull. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they can indeed. Hopefully, they weren't. No,
1: hopefully, they weren't. We'll let our
0: we'll let our listeners decide for that.
1: Yes, you got to be careful with digressions.
0: And yet I digress. Yes. All right, then. So I guess that wraps up this episode number seventeen. Oh my gosh, we're almost up to twenty episodes. Wow. That blows my mind yeah. in a great way. All right. So, episode 17. We're about done. And
1: kudos to the OSS. They did their job.
0: Absolutely. Julia Child, you are my hero. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. All right. So, we will be back in two weeks Mm -hmm. from this Wednesday. And uh, who knows what fascinating topic we'll come up with, but I'm sure it'll be something. Who knows? Who knows? See you next week.
1: All right. See you next week or two weeks from now. Oh, crap. Yeah. sorry
0: okay (laughs) signing off
1: okay signing off
0: well friends here we are at the end of the podcast be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode also if you've enjoyed listening please head over to apple podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review we'd really appreciate that And if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at historicallyspeakingpodcast. That's it for today. And again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past.